Today on Spud Chat, uh, we have convened the uh, post uh, field workers meeting uh, review again. Uh, with me today is uh, Lorraine McKinnon, uh, potato industry coordinator with the Prince Edward Island Department of Agriculture and Land. Good morning, Ryan. And I have uh, Dr. Christine Nerona, entomologist with the Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada station here in Charlottetown. Good morning, Ryan. <laughs> so uh, we had a good attendance uh, at our meeting today, both in person and on the phone or on online on uh, Teams. So we got a good perspective from across the island as to what's going on. And the general gist uh, seemed to be that... Uh, Things are looking good, and uh, the crop is looking healthy, and we're off to a really good start. So, uh, Lorraine, uh, what what are some of the things we heard kind of in particular that you think we should uh, be passing along to folks? Yeah, uh, it was it was nice this morning to be able to meet again in person, and I guess in total we had close to 20 folks joining us this morning, and we had crop scouts, and we had some ag uh, input retail staff and we had research folks and we had uh, other industry people so we had a, a really nice and we had some some farm personnel as well so it was good to get uh, a nice cross section I guess from the industry today once again it's great to hear everybody saying that we're getting you know really vigorous growth out, growth out there things are looking really nice and green not really any reports of, of stress in the plants. Um, some areas, you know, are ready for a little bit more rain. Maybe they're just on the, on the cusp of, of uh, wanting a little, you know, maybe 15, 20 mils. And other areas said there has been sufficient rainfall and uh, they can wait maybe a little longer. But uh, we've heard that a few folks are starting to get irrigation equipment up and running. So, again, generally, I think things are looking good out there, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it's encouraging. Uh, things seem to be going strong. Um, one of the bigger topics of conversation today was around uh, insects, some that we are used to talking about and some maybe not so much. Uh, we talked a, bit, a little bit about European corn borer at, last, at the two-week-ago meeting. Um, we had some people starting to see moths and starting to see egg masses, and we knew there was some growers starting to spray for corn borer. We have the expert on corn borer with us here today. Christine, where do we think we're corn borer are right now? Like, what's the expectation given, you know, the conditions so far this year? Okay, so the corn borer right now, they're probably, the peak has passed uh, for egg laying. Um, so if you didn't control the the um, the egg masses, um, it's probably too late because the the larvae have already entered entered the the stem. So you can't control them once they enter the stem. So the the you, you're just going to have larvae in your in your uh, plants, and they're not going to do too much damage. Uh, not going to reduce your uh, your yield as much, but the holes that they that they make in in the in the stem that can cause a little bit of damage if you if there is a, a windstorm and the, the plants basically they topple over so that's where you're going to see damage if you have corn borer in your field usually they don't do significant amount of damage with corn borer i know we talked a little bit about you know if people are still seeing egg masses what's the What's the, the right time, what's the right stage to be applying pesticides and, and sort of 
trying to control if, if you're still seeing egg masses. Okay, so if you're still seeing egg masses in your field, you usually, what, what you should do is go and flag that egg mass and then go back a week later to see if it has, if it has reached the blackhead stage. And if it has reached the blackhead stage, then you, then you apply a pesticide, but you have to apply one at the blackhead stage and another, another application seven days later. And your egg masses should be 10 egg masses per 10 plant, and it's a cumulative, a cumulative number that you look at. So say you have on, on week one, you find five egg masses per 10 plant, and on week two, you find another five. So that, that makes up 10 egg masses per 10 plants. And you, that's when you go at, at the blackhead stages when you go and you spray, and you spray two applications. We also, uh, have heard, heard a little bit about tarnished plant bug today, not major issues, but maybe starting to see them around maybe the margins of fields? Yes, you'd start to see tarnished plant bug around the margins of the field. Um, they won't do too much damage because uh, it's usually when it's very dr hot and dry is when tarnished plant bug cause a lot of damage. But you are going to see them and if numbers get too high, uh, there is going to be damage. So just keep an eye out for, for a tarnished plant bug in your farm. Lorraine, we uh, talked a little bit about aphids and um, you talked about you've got two weeks of aphid alert data back so far. Uh, what are you hearing so far on aphids? So far, Ryan, the populations have been pretty low for the first two weeks of trapping. Um, what I do is I split it up into east, west and central and uh, provide an average aphid per trap number. And we're running below two aphids per trap on average for all of the island. Um, I think we were somewhere around 1.3 or 1.4 aphids per trap. So, so that's pretty low and that's total aphid count. Um, so, the, you know, probably at this point in the season, there's lots of the other species that are showing up in the traps um, that are not, you know, those key ones that we uh, are used to hearing about, like green peach or potato aphid or, or whatnot. So yeah, I guess just generally numbers are pretty low, but it's also important for seed growers to remember to get their oil applications on. And then, you know, as time goes on, assess the need for an aphicide as well is probably in the plans for some folks too. Yeah, at this time of uh, rapid uh, growth and uh, the, the crop is uh, the foliage is really filling in fast. It's important for the seed growers to be getting those mineral oils on frequently and effectively and getting those uh, tops covered. Thankfully, we have had uh, low aphid numbers so far, but there is PVY inoculum around. I was out yesterday in a couple of fields of a few different varieties, especially some newer varieties like Mountain Gem. And there's quite a bit of inoculum in some of those commercial fields, uh, just because those varieties seem to be particularly sensitive to PVY. So um, it is something for seed growers to be paying attention to. Something we heard about today, kind of for the first time, it's the first time I've ever heard about it. Uh, we had one of the crop scouts talk about earwigs uh, being an issue. And I know, Christine, you did a little story with CBC a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we've kind of got an explosive earwig population this year. If folks are seeing 
earwigs in fields and maybe seeing some earwig damage, what's your recommendation? So, so my recommendations would be to, to go out and spray the, the, the area where you are seeing earwigs. They mostly would be around the perimeter of the, of the, uh, of the field. So spray with the, with an insecticide that is, um, uh, the mode of action is through ingestion or contact. Um, earwigs are nocturnal, so you're not going to be spraying them directly. Uh, but when they come out at night and they start feeding on the leaves that have a res residue of the insecticide, uh, that's what's going to kill them. Earwigs are going to be there. They just keep growing bigger and bigger as, as time goes on. Right now they are at the, at the nymphal stage. Um, so you, so you're, if you, if they are there, you're going to keep seeing them. I know uh, if anybody is seeing, if there's any crop scouts or growers that are seeing earwig damage or seeing any amount of earwigs, we'd, be, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, Christine would love to get some pictures. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's not a common thing, but it does seem like there's a explosive generation of earwigs around this year in PEI. Um, and then we're kind of wrapping up our chat on insects, uh, Colorado potato beetles. I know I've seen uh, some in certain fields. Some fields are clean as a whistle, uh, some fields there's the odd adult around, and some fields there's loads of them. I know, uh, Lorraine, you've been out a little bit the last week or two getting some samples for the Ag Canada project. That's right. I think that this year we'll have um, a pretty good chance of reaching the quota. So I'd like to send seven samples of Colorado's over to Fredericton for them to assess for uh, chemical resistance and um, it, it's looking like we're well, I got five lined up now, happy to take more. And you never know, they may do us a favor and let us send over a few extra samples this season. But uh, yeah, uh, it's, as you said, Ryan, uh, last week I did some collections in one field, took me an hour and a half to get the sufficient number of insects. And the next one, it was around 20 minutes. So it's quite variable, their populations. So that kind of uh, that wraps up a little bit of what we're seeing on the insect side. On the sort of the disease and the and the fungal side, generally things look pretty clean. I think um, we didn't, you know, weren't getting a lot of reports on um, early blight or brown spot. We know there's been spores of both types of Alternaria are showing up in the air spore results, but they are sporadic and they're changing a little bit from day to day and from area to area and on the island and I wouldn't say that in most cases that they're at very high levels they seem to be at moderate to low levels and I haven't seen a whole lot of foliar damage or foliar symptoms of early blight yet. Lorraine you said you mentioned you saw or there was a couple of uh, um, photos or a couple of indications you got of maybe some early blight or brown spot symptoms. Yeah, I got a picture texted to me yesterday, and this is not um, a really reliable diagnostic tool for sure, and I'm not a diagnostician, but um, just from the picture, it, it looked like it could be a form of Alternaria, and so I'm, I'm hoping we'll get a sample into Marlene for her to confirm that. Um, I guess in terms of late blight, uh, we know that at the moment there's no spores of late blight that have been trapped on PEI in New Brunswick, in Maine or Quebec in areas where the traps are out and there is quite a good network of traps out now. Um, but there has been reports of some DNA of late blight that was identified in a few counties in Ontario last week. Uh, no field infections are reported there. And just, you know, hearing the reports, 
that we heard this morning about vigorous growth and um, one scout was in a field this morning joining us from a potato field and she said the plants were up to her her armpits so definitely we're in a, a period of rapid growth in a lot of fields and it's important to um, to keep your your new growth protected and get your fungicide sprayed. Uh, this is perfect conditions for late blight. Um, it's, it's wonderful that we have all these spore trapping services around to help us uh, know whether or not the inoculum is present because we certainly have the host and we certainly have uh, the weather that's conducive to the development of late blight. On the on early blight, I know I talked with a few growers late last week and early this week, and we were talking about the timing of sprays. And of course, for for Alternaria, the key is uh, getting uh, those sprays on before row closure where possible, at least the first spray, uh, to protect that bottom of the canopy, those lower leaves, because generally the Alternaria uh, tends to colonize and, and infect those lower leaves first and then moves up the plant. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about just getting the, the lower canopy covered and then topping it up a little bit as we go along. But I do know a lot of the growers that I've been talking to have been uh, going with their first round of early blight sprays like and and using sprays like Luna Tranquility and some of the others that are, you know, uh, multiple modes of action and as well as, you know, targeting multiple pests. So um, that's good. Uh, and um yeah, I'd say generally, like in terms of other foliar diseases, things look pretty clean. Haven't seen too much other uh, problem. Have seen a little bit of rhizoctonia and blackleg in a few fields. Again, not massive. And the blackleg that I've seen is a lot less than last year. Last year was a bad blackleg year. Um, but so far, things look pretty good. Um, it might be worth people, especially seed growers, but also other growers on certain varieties like Dakotas and, and a few other varieties that seem to be particularly susceptible to blackleg. You know, scout your fields, keep an eye out for it. If it involves, you know, pulling a few plants, um, it may be worth doing just to make sure you're not bringing that blackleg back into the storage this fall. Um, because the new uh, the newer uh, strain of blackleg that seems to be around Pectobacterium parmentieri, uh, it seems to result in the plant actually being able to set tubers while being infected with blackleg. And it, it uh, isn't just a seed-borne issue now, it's, it's more of a um, commercial crop issue as well. So just something to kind of keep in mind as you're, as you're looking at your plants. Uh, Marlene was here from the plant diagnostic lab, um, and she said that generally it's been a pretty good uh, summer so far, hasn't got a lot of samples. Um, but is there are some isolated reports of uh, some seed borne issues and some uh, some issues with emergence and some uh, fusarium issues potentially and some black lag on certain lots, certain varieties. I know particularly there's a couple of newer varieties, newer processing varieties, which seem to be particularly susceptible to either black lag or fusarium. Uh, and uh, there may have been some seed that was heavily compromised and was planted anyway and that sort of thing. So I think uh, that's maybe where some of the issues are. But in general, I'm not seeing a lot of miss in the fields, uh, you know, the, the odd field where there is. But I don't know, Lorraine, are you seeing kind of the same thing? Yeah, Ryan, I guess driving around PEI in the last couple of weeks, um, I, I find that the emergence is, is quite impressive. I also have seen the odd field where it's, it's a little more spotty. Um, but I think in general, there was very good emergence this year. However, I guess Marlene did note that some of these samples that she took in 
um, whoever submitted the sample, whether it was a crop scout or a grower, they reported up to 60% miss. So, um, yeah, so she kind of took those those samples and she's going to forward them on to Rick Peters and maybe do some resistance screening on Fusarium as well, which we have continued to do over the past number of years since finding that Fusarium was resistant some of, to some of the seed piece treatments that are commonly used. And then I guess just on weeds, we touched on weeds a little more in, the, in our last meeting. Um, now that plants are starting, rows starting to close in and, and things generally look fairly clean, people aren't too worried about weeds. I know I'm amazed at how clean some fields are, um, but I was in a field yesterday where in the field is very clean and the hedge or the headland is full of uh, red root pigweed and uh, eastern black nightshade. So it's just a matter of like sometimes it's just cleaning up the headlands and maybe running if, if it's not a planted headland, um, you know, running a hair over it or something and and breaking up some of those young weeds. So, you know, you're not causing problems later in the year or next year or the year after. So and particularly nightshades, I find tend to thrive in the headlands in PEI, particularly eastern black. So just something to kind of keep an eye on when you're scouting your fields and when you're running around taking a look at the fields. Yeah. And I guess it's wouldn't in a way it's a weed problem but whenever we start talking about weeds we often get in the conversation about volunteers and several people reported this morning um, that there are a high number of volunteer potato plants in non-potato fields and uh, one one person commented that they're in blossom the volunteers are starting to blossom and i saw some volunteers last week up around central PEI in a field that's probably just getting established, a non-potato crop, and the potatoes were looking pretty big and bushy, and they would be very difficult to control at that point. So just uh, once again, I think, uh, I guess also somebody said that the potatoes were coming through from two seasons ago, not from last year, but from two seasons ago. So just again, we we seem to continue to talk about volunteers at every field worker meeting this this season. And I think that's something that producers should keep in mind too. So yeah, on the volunteer side, I know it is an issue. And especially as we get milder winters, we're going to have more volunteers. Historically, I know a lot of growers have always said, oh, well, a few volunteers, the Colorados will chew those off, won't be a big problem. Christine, what, you know, if it's just a handful of volunteers and they get eaten by the, the Colorado, that's probably not a bad, you know, that's, you know, that's fine. But if it's uh, feeding a lot of Colorados, do you have worries that that sort of keeps the Colorado potato beetle population sort of going in the background and the potential for, say, mutations and um, building resistance and that sort of thing over time? Yes, definitely, Ryan. If you if you have um, Colorado's populations build up on these volunteers, uh, you're going to have problems later on because the populations will be high. We're not decreasing the populations. The other thing is that I have seen Colorado's feed on potato plants and take them down to absolutely nothing. They're just stems and those potato plants come back. So the, the, the potato beetles will actually feed on them 
they've, they've, there's no more leaves left there and then they move on to another another plant and then this plant because it doesn't have the pressure from the Colorados uh, it, it starts to come back so you're not going to really control the um, the potato the volunteer potatoes but you are going to have high populations of potato beetles mm. so I guess when it comes to managing volunteers I know really the most effective chemical is glyphosate is roundup and if you've got a living crop if it's in a grain crop right now that's not something you can apply so it's just managing as best you can but i think it's trying to escape for those volunteers early in the season managing as best you can um and in some crops i know there's quite a bit of roundup ready corn went in this year um and then they were able to then spray uh roundup on those to help clean up around uh volunteers you may not completely kill the plant but if the plant is big enough to translocate the glyphosate down into any tubers that are there, uh, it'll uh, severely restrict the ability for those tubers to grow next year. So you may have some volunteers around this year in terms of foliar uh, volunteers plants, uh, but you're not going to hopefully have it turn into a two-year problem. So just something to kind of keep in mind. I know uh, there is there is a, a fact sheet on our website that was uh, – done in New Brunswick a couple of years ago, looking at different chemistry for control of volunteers. Um, and so you can feel free to check that out. Um, anything else that we should mention that uh, came up this morning uh, that uh, we uh, want to relay to the listeners? Well, Ryan, I thought it was, it was really interesting when somebody mentioned that uh, some of the new varieties, we've basically only seen them perform under more stressful conditions in the last few years, well, it's dry, hot weather. And this year, people are getting the chance to see these new varieties and how they perform under adequate or ideal conditions or, you know, maybe close to ideal conditions. So it's that's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to probably provide us a lot more information going forward on these varieties. So, And then just generally, I mean, the fact that we're seeing those kind of conditions and we're seeing... Um, for the most part, again, this vigorous growth, this very green potato fields, I guess it just gives me hope that uh, growers are going to have a, a nice summer this year with maybe a little less irrigation, a little less stress on the mind, and hopefully more family time and overall well-being, you know, generally coming out of a pandemic and maybe getting to see some more family from from further away. That's my hope, I guess, for producers. This well, I would echo that 100%. Um, and, uh, I do think you're right about some of these newer varieties. I pulled a top, a couple of tops on mountain gems the other day. And, uh, there, that's a variety that has high yield potential, even in stress conditions and under good conditions, they're fully filled in the rows. I pulled one plant that had four stems on it and they had over 30, you know, tubers initiating on those four stems. So there's a lot of yield potential on some of these varieties and it'll just be managing that going forward. And hopefully we do keep getting some timely rains through the rest of the summer. We won't count chickens before they're fully hatched or tubers before they're out of the, in the shed, I guess, but um, we're uh, hopefully we're off to a good start. Thanks very much, Lorraine and Christine for joining me this morning uh, for this uh, uh, roundup episode of uh, Spud Chat. And uh, we will uh, convene the field worker roundup meeting again in two weeks' time. Thanks very much. Thank you.